and welcome. I'm Rich, and this is Misfits, Wanderers, and the rest of us. Glad to have you along. This is for those of us who felt like we didn't exactly fit in with the world we were brought into. That feel like they have had a disconnect from their authentic selves in order to survive and assimilate. Who are desperate for something different. We focus on our basic needs. Food, clothing, shelter, but we often don't acknowledge our other needs. And they are clearly needs to be seen, to be heard, to connect, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we do what we know how in order to dull the pain. The mission here is to provide a space where people can have these needs met in a safe environment, surrounded by others finding their way who are willing to support and be supported along this collective journey. When we connect to our authentic selves, we can heal. We can live and lead from a place of love rather than from pain or from fear. The ripple effects from more and more people freeing themselves from the chains of trauma and fear and living in love through their authenticity will change literally anything you can think of. One step at a time, of course, right? So let's explore, shall we? Hello and welcome to Misfits. I'm Rich and I'll be your guide for this and every episode. If this is your first experience, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. This is episode 33 called Remembering Our Humanity and my guest is Michelle Frank. Michelle is a powerful intuitive and medium based in Washington State. She provides readings and workshops and has done speaking engagements where she taps into her gifts to provide clarity and healing for many. Michelle and I talked about a number of different ways we're at a crossroads as a species and as a society. Life has shifted in a permanent way and we are still in the process of learning what that's supposed to look like. The unknown is scary and if you find yourself in certain information bubbles, and this counts multiple ones of different persuasions, you're primed to be afraid of different things. Our fear, whatever that fear is, leads us to be able to stop seeing the humanity in each other, especially those who trigger our fears the most. What is that leading to? How can we shift that? What would that even look like? Some other questions to ponder. What if, at the end of the day, we are all just a bunch of scared little kids trying to figure it all out? If we are all equal, then don't we have more power than we give ourselves credit for? What if we shifted that power into building instead of dividing our communities? What if we sought the common ground? And don't believe the news or social media. We all can find common ground. Instead of fighting over words and concepts that if we could just find solutions to, if we could just cut out those who benefit from well, this, I bet you we could find solutions in pretty short form. It looks discouraging now, but we're still here. And we almost all know that this isn't working. Even if we can't see eye to eye on anything else. And that's a start. Even the most daunting tasks come with a start. If we focus on the mountain, it becomes easy to give up. It's big, it's overwhelming, it's scary as hell. But if we focus on the first step, it becomes a little bit easier. 
you're just looking at a little piece. What do you see as the first step in your eyes? How can that be accomplished in a way that we all can feel at least seen or heard in the process? So with that, let's begin. Here's Michelle. Glad to see you. Hope all is well. Um, hope you survived the great outage of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so funny. Yeah, it is. And it's really fascinating how it gets you to wake up and see, hmm, maybe you're putting too many eggs in one basket over here, which is easy to do. It is. It is. Because it feels so varied, right? Like it feels like we're, we're not. Because there's so many different layers to Facebook or there's so many different layers of Instagram and WhatsApp. You know, like, like those, those feel so intangibly connected and yet they're all the same one. Yeah. And there's something to that, that kind of gives me the willies. Mm -hmm. It's that big conglomeration of, all right, now most people can't communicate with the outside world. And I start thinking about, you know, back when the banks were bailed out and, you know, some of the stuff that got bailed out and COVID. And I start hearing too big to fail, too big to fail. And then I start thinking, if you're too big to fail, maybe you're too big to exist. Yeah, right. Like maybe, like maybe it's the, this is the beginning of the implosion. Yeah, I read the whistleblower. Was it the whistleblower? No, it was somebody else. It was in the same article, but they said that there's um, in two years, there'll be 45% less people on Facebook than there are now. They have no clue where they're going to go. But the trending, that's what the trending is, is that they're, they're, the market for Facebook is shifting the demographic and there's just going to be less and less and less people on it because it's becoming such an older people (laughs) platform. (laughs) Ironically, people flock to Facebook because you could connect to family and Mm -hmm. old loved ones and people that you blast from the past and ultimately people are going to be flocking away because thanks to the great divide you can't get away from them fast enough now yeah yeah done yeah what have we done to ourselves You know, that's a, it's a good question because I think we're the, the Facebook experience of that divisiveness is like the microcosm of a much bigger progression that's taking place within humanity of coming to terms and recognizing that we are, we're changing. Right. And, and there's a lot of us that are scared to change. And there's a lot of us that are really wounded. 
And there are a lot of us that really don't want to face it. And so we do spiritual bypass. And there's a lot of us that um, are wanting to find out what really matters. And it, and in the long term, Facebook doesn't really matter. And the connection that we have on Facebook, though, I have found them to be profoundly beautiful and helpful and supportive in so many ways. Um, They also don't replace the physical connections of community. Right. So there's, there's a big shift in our collective consciousness right now away from away from wanting to be fed by power and authority and wanting to be fed by our own soul, wanting to be fed by our community or by the earth. And this is a much bigger transition than, than the tiny little, not that it's tiny, but the, 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 the microcosm of the details, right? Yeah. And I love how you painted that picture, Michelle, because it's really important wherever you're at. It's part of the growing pains. All of it is. And for some, it is. It's going to be jumping from one bubble into another bubble thinking that this is enlightenment. I figured it out, but no, you've just landed in another bubble. Yeah. And this, and then it's bringing up this so many different trauma responses happening because it's bringing up crap in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I, you know what? I'm going to be the first to admit as much as I can step back and kind of, I'm pretty good most of the time at collecting a bird's eye view of things and seeing it from there for what it is. That doesn't mean I'm not immune. There's times where I will jump on and I will see something and I get fired up. and I just want to lose my mind. Like I am not immune. I, I still have things I've got to work through. I, it's, I'm part of the mess. <laughs> yep. Ditto. Right. Yeah. Me too. And I, you know, I've, I've really sat with that a lot going, what, what is that? That is, is such a compelling force that even though I completely understand and and know that the raging at things isn't going to change it, yet I still participate. Yeah, and it's so what, easy. And it is so easy. And what I've come to understand looking at the energy, energy dynamics of it is that there are, it's fascinating too, that there are certain events or things that are attached they're like these threads and they go through us, but then they go back into the grandparents and the great grandparents and the go on back. And that we're, we, we came in as kind of like the end point for a lot of different threads. Mm-hmm. And so 
even though our lives and our experience is unique. There are, for a lot of us, there are these threads that are having this flush of energy come down and it's emerging out of us into our lived experience and creating an attractive force and all of these different dynamics within us that, that compel us into a state of engagement as opposed to the bird's eye view. And in that active engagement, we actually have the emotionally funded ability to release a lineage worth of energy. Yeah. So I started going, okay. So when this happens, instead of getting mad at myself or instead of um, engaging in it to the point where I can no longer see, I'm going to engage and I'm going to go inward with it instead of exploding outward, right? In the reactionary. And I'm going to go in with it and go, wow, I am really feeling this. And I have people that I talk to, right? I have a therapist and I have close friends that I'll talk these things out with, but I won't go on a public stage with it. Right. Um, there have been times when I have not done that and you will find me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> On a soapbox. <laughs> I failed that too. Um, but but ultimately in going right and going through that deep emotion, I allow for the release of a lineage's worth of bound up trauma. And and I've worked with it with my therapist, and like some of the things that it goes back to is like ridiculous connections. Like the thing that I'm upset about is some justice issue. But when I go back and back and back to find the roots of it, where it's coming from is having my children taken from me in the way or, or, or someone in my past has their children taken from them. But in my, my being, the subconscious level feels like it's happening to me. It's just fascinating. Yeah. That, that lands like I don't see a lot of that past in detail, mm -hmm. but where it comes through is I will see certain experiences where, you know, big traumatic events are happening and I can see myself there in past experiences being an it's awful. Like it feels like this scene. If you've seen Forrest Gump. Yeah. When it, Lieutenant Dan is introduced and they go through his family lineage and they're just showing all his old family members, just getting killed in certain in different wars and different things. Like there's certain an aspect of that. Like I was involved in this. I was in these different, yeah, I don't have a whole solid thing, but I see my, like, I'm like, oh, I see somebody getting lit on fire and I get, I, I get like this thing. Like I was there, like, okay, that happened in a past life. And it's weird. Cause I, it's hard for like, I guess I just put it out there on a podcast now, but when I'm sharing that, I don't have details and it, it's gotta sound weird to people if they're not really in tune, like, but right. It's, 
I know this more there and I feel those traumas. And when I feel people's rage coming at me on a screen, which is coming back to the point, like, Mm -hmm. I feel that, like, it feels like I'm being hit directly when people aren't exactly aiming at me or at anybody. They're just seeing this thing. They have this, like you were talking about all that energies were done and it's got to come out. It's got to come out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, and it, it can be so overwhelming too. If we don't like when, before I understood the dynamics of it, like I was just felt like I was drowning in it. I'm like, I don't like this feeling. I don't want to feel so overwhelmed by these dynamics. I don't want to feel like I have no control over myself. Right. And, and I guess that kind of exposes my desire for control. Like it's really big. <laughs> I, I don't know anyone that doesn't have that though. Right. Like that, that want to control what's happening. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, your mind wants it's a survival mechanism you're trying to survive mm-hmm. you're trying to stay safe you're trying to not die so it makes yeah. sense that you know that amygdala is going to take over and kind of rock right into fight or flight yep yeah totally mm. and the the end of the day it's just we're all a bunch of scared kids yeah. with a crap load of trauma trying mm-hmm. to figure it all out yep yeah yeah and it doesn't matter how enlightened you are you still fall into that category even the ones that you see on your screen or you see on the news and you just want to reach out, whether it doesn't matter what side of things you're on, it's the mm-hmm. same thing. The person you're raging at is a scared kid trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yep. Because the big work that we're all doing together in playing out the roles that we're each playing out is to bring an end to a really old way of being, a really, really old way of doing things that, that survives on the suffering. And as we get ready to, to experience something different, we have to recognize where we've come from. Mm-hmm. And ultimately be able to do that and... Yeah. Like I tell people, I don't, short term, it doesn't really look good. But I think long, it's going to take us a while. But I think ultimately, we start to figure it out. And I think ultimately, we're going to start to see that those that our bubbles program us to punch down at are actually the people we need on our side. Yeah. 
And once that happens and people align and they start to look up, then it's game over. And the powers that be know it. There's that there's that movie about the ants and they're going up against the grasshoppers. And they've always been scared of the grasshoppers. And the grasshopper, the main grasshopper calls his his aide the side and said, Listen, you, you do understand that not going to end well right if they if they get mad at us we don't want them mad at us we want them to give us what they have but we don't want them to be mad at us and they're scoffing and laughing at him so he let the seed out and the seed flies out and knocks one guy down and they laugh at him for falling down and he said you understand what happened that's that's one ant right but the, the barrel of the seeds is like got millions of seeds in it. Because there's millions of ants. What happens when they all come? When they laugh, and they say, well, we'll take them on, blah, 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 the bravado, right? Yeah, of course. And lets it out, and they, they are buried. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a scary little kid again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the that seems like that's just what it all comes down to, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if we can, and it's not even that we necessarily have to give up being scared little kids. It's no. that's because there's always going to be that aspect. That's one of the voices when we all have multiple voices right. within. And yeah. that's just the nature of, we well, you're never going to, clear that completely but you can get to the point where you know the part of you you get that you want driving the car is going to be driving the car and these other voices can make all the noise that they want but they're just making noise in the backseat and you realize that you're still in control that's where you want to get Mm -hmm. yeah I've been working a lot with the concept of uh, power with and how our default setting is power over. And what does it mean to live my life from a position of power with? Uh, I've got my definitions of power from Brene Brown in listening to her and reading her work. Um, and power over us is that authoritarian power that dictates. It's also the power that convinces me that I'm better off, safer, wiser, healthier, if I defer my authority to whomever is in that position in that moment, whether it's the doctor, it's the um, therapist, it's the president, it's the congressperson, whoever that is in the moment, police officer. And power with operate from a position of equality and equity. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your position or status. We're still human and we're equal on that level. And power overtakes the status and utilizes that to 
reconfigure value of humanness or value of personhood. And as I look at, you know, raising my kids with power with and, and looking, talking even to myself with power with dynamic, that realization that that scared little person or the one that bypasses or the one that um, just doesn't want to do it anymore, right, is they're all equal. And I'm not going to hold authority over any one of them. I'm going to sit and hold space with them, with the recognition of their wholeness. And in that wholeness, they are accepted fully for wherever they are in that moment. And I've been experimenting over the last three years of doing this with clients and observing what happens for them when I do that. And I don't say I'm going to do this. I just shift my internal perspective. And the outcomes have been really fascinating. And I haven't had a single one that's been negative. And the overall realizations that I've had is that it, it creates a field of energy that allows all of the deferred authority, maybe not all, but it allows a lot of that deferred authority to come back to that person. And sometimes the person will come to me and go, but, you know, you're this, and so I'm this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Look, see, we're equal. I might know some things, but you know things over here. See, so we're actually equal. Oh, but this isn't, this is uncomfortable. Like, I don't know that I can, how would you? And then they're like, you see the wheels turning, right? And that, that realization that, oh, shit, like, if we're equal, then I'm way more powerful than I gave myself credit for. And oh no, that means I'm responsible for all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like how I feel and how I react and all the things I say. And I've had some people to go into like, leave the session and go into a little bit of an existential crisis. And reach out to me going, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah, you just literally took their existence and you flipped it on its ear is exactly what happened. And when that happens, your foundation crumbles and you're like, shit, now what? <sighs> and that's so important the way you described it because, you know, it's to tie together the whole vision I had, I was expressing of punching down and how we're programmed to do that. We don't realize how much power we're giving away upwards in the process. Like we'll tell you, like, it doesn't matter how I hate using this word, but woke you think you are like, no, no, you're not. You're just, 
it's just like we were talking about before. You've just gone into another bubble. And mm-hmm. it's so important that connection you made about when you learn to release that, you gain your you gain your own value and you put yourself on a plane on a level plane not just with those who you think you're punching down against but those who you get your information from those that you answer to those that you put on these pedestals and you realize they're just they're just freaked up humans like I am at the end of the day. Yeah. Scared little kids. I am. And it's really fascinating, Rich. I mean, I grew up in a conspiracy home, right? Where my, my dad was a real conspiracy theorist and a very intelligent man. And he insisted that fear was an absolute that you had to experience fear all the time at some level. And without it, you would be in great danger. He really believed that. And my dad also wanted desperately to be sovereign and self-contained and to not be reliant upon anyone or anything other than his own self. And one of the things that I've run into when I've interacted with people who, who are, remind me of my dad is that there's this, um, there's, it, it's not necessarily a fear of authority, but it's an opposition to authority, right? Mm-hmm. Opposition to that authority and wanting to, um, break it or break away from it and prove something. And when I've looked into the dynamic of that, because going through my relationship with my dad taught me a lot. Um, And I found that there's a huge amount of deferred authority that happens because in order for, in order for me to say, that the government is bad, my dad's common phrase, right? That that was the phrase we knew even as small children. Mm-hmm. Government is bad. I have to lump everyone in that establishment into one being, which means I've dehumanized them, taking their humanness away from them, from the individuals that participate in that system. And I have given it authority, a pretty big chunk of authority, deferred authority over my emotional response and the way I live my life. So in my 20s and 30s, you know, I I went through a lot, Um, but I also recognized that in doing that, And in not honoring their humanness, I was attempting to take their their right to exist away from them. I don't want to do that. I don't want want people to do that to me. 
right? right. I'm not going to do that to them. So now all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, so when I think about they, that classic, they did this, or, you know, some institution did this, and they're the bad guy, I had to recalibrate all of it. And holy crap, that was another existential crisis I had to go through because everything that I was raised to think of as the bad guy now was just human, scared little people doing the best that they could with limited tools and resources to try and make things the way they're supposed to be and having a messed up idea of what that's what that is i can't be mad at that <laughs> no i can't be and mad at that it's that whole sequence is so important to explore because Wherever you are, when you get into those bubbles, they ultimately come back here in different forms. You might think, you know, you might decide that, okay, all Republicans are bad or all Democrats are bad or all of Congress is bad. All the IRS is bad. All the FBI is bad. But... At the core of it, it's, you know, it's Mary, who you went to school with. It's Tom, who coaches your kids in soccer. It's, they're all people. And yeah, they may have learned different values along the way in different elements. And you don't see eye to eye because of what you've learned, but when you throw away the whole package because, oh God, he's, you know, he works for the feds and he works for the DEA and I like to smoke weed. What, you know, that this isn't okay. What the hell? You're the man, get the frick away from me. But Mm -hmm. what we don't see is in these spaces, there's opportunity. There's opportunity to understand how they got there, why, what motivates them. And when you get into those places, that's where you start to find, hey, we've got X, Y, and Z in common, even though A, B, C, and D we see differently. But let's explore X, Y, and Z because maybe there's a compromise in there that we can, or there's some, or at least an understanding. You know, there doesn't necessarily have to be a middle ground, but we can be like, okay, we're not going to be able to get anywhere here, here, and here. But if we go here, this is a win-win. And... You don't see a lot of that in the world right now. You just mm-hmm. see, and it's not, people love to say that it's social media or it's this, and there's an element of it. Yeah. When everybody's got a voice and everybody's got access to all this craziness, it adds, it juices steroids into it or jet fuel or whatever your analogy you want to use. But I can tell you it's been brewing at least 30 years. Right. I remember going to, when I was in college, seeing political rallies and 
you know, I remember I had some roommates that I did not get along with. They used to, they used to bully me. And of course I would always run my, when I'm, when I'm scared, I run my mouth. So I always made things worse for myself. So they all were very into the Republican club and very into that scene. There was a paper that they ran and it was very, it was, let's say it's very extreme. Okay. And somebody like me, who's, you know, very party wise is apathetic at best. That doesn't really see much of anything. All of a sudden became like the biggest Bill Clinton support. That's how far back we went in the world and went to one of their rallies holding a sign. And I'm just like, yeah, Clinton, I don't really like Clinton, but hey, screw you guys. <laughs> and But I'm right. sitting there, I'm in there. And all it was, was just people just screaming at each other and just so much venom and so much disgust. And I just saw on all sides, humanity at its worst. And I just, I literally turn around. I'm like, these guys suck, but this isn't worth it. I literally just threw my Clinton sign down. I went home and I was just like, I, I've always been interested in politics in the, you know, how can we get things accomplished? Why does somebody think like this? What's their story? How can we relate? Because that's how things get solved. Not this other shit. Right. I love the vision that, you know, somebody wrote about it in a book and I can't remember the book, but I always loved this, you know, going back to the eighties and you'd have Tip O'Neill and you'd have Reagan people that are as polar opposite as you could possibly get, you know, Tip O'Neill, the speaker of the house was this, was a classic Cambridge liberal and with all the things that came with that. And, you know, Reagan was very, you know, stern in his ways, very conservative, very, you know, he believed strongly in what he believed, but they were able to connect in a way that you couldn't get from the outside. And what would happen is you had a stalemate in Congress and Tip would go to the White House. He would just hang out in the Oval Office. Him and Reagan would just get shit-faced drunk. And you know what? Once they loosened up, they really they would connect and they share stories and get to and really just connect on a personal level. And they grew a friendship out of that. And through that friendship, they found what commonalities they needed to get things done and get what needed to get done to move the ball along and get things passed and get things accomplished. Wow. It wasn't, you know, was it an ideal win for every, you know, for one side or the other? No, but you move the ball. And now you don't have that because if, and honestly, if what you have is if you compromise now, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get primaried. Mm-hmm. That's the environment we're in. And you know, that environment's created and yet people complain that nothing gets done. You can't have both. Yeah. 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 And it is, it's such a fascinating thing to look at the political dynamic. Um, 
I get a lot of questions uh, in when I work with CAC regarding uh, CAC is Cosmic Awareness Communication. Um, when I work with with their membership around politics, then there's it's it's so fascinating to see how the people. in the government position are, are doing this really complicated dance of having their, their personality and life engaged in this like really intense current of water that's just like hundreds of miles an hour. And they've developed the ability to not let that disintegrate them. But in the process of doing that, they've also created a pretty intense ego buffer mm-hmm. that makes them almost unable to really see what's happening. It's like walking around with this giant distorted bubble on your face over your body, the upper half of your body. And then you, you try to take it off, but you can't take all of it off anymore. The longer you're in it, the thicker it gets when you take it off too. Like the, 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 the part that stays right here. When you try and go home, be human, just the person, not the collectivized, amplified, personified portion of yourself but just the human the one that was someone's baby right or the one that someone's wife and the longer you're in it the more that line merges between what's work and what's home and a lot of times you'll see these 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 Congress people that no longer are able to have a relationship with their children or their or their spouses because it's, they can't take the bubble off anymore. Oh, because that that part of the mind that works to keep us safe with you know ego or you know amygdala or you know whatever term you know there's different methods of terminology can use, but it comes back to the same thing. It mm-hmm. ultimately, when it's trying to keep you safe, mm-hmm. it doesn't delineate. It doesn't recognize the difference between being in, in this situation, watch being in Washington, dealing with the lobbyists and the opposition and the media and everything that comes with it and being home with, you know, their partner, their kids, and whatever that looks like, it becomes, and it's, you know, not even just in feels like that. You see that in, oh God, that was me. I worked when I was, I did 911 for years Mm -hmm. and it was me. There were points where I couldn't take the I couldn't take the shell off. Yeah. I had, or if I did, I had to drink a lot to get there. That was my cope. Right. Because, you know, in, because you see and experience a lot, especially 
toward the end before I walked away, mm-hmm. there's just so many, even if you're really good at it, there's just so much trauma. And I was always secondary. I was experiencing it through, you know, only through mostly my ears. I wasn't physically there. So imagine what, what cops and what, you know, what, what paramedics and firefighters are experiencing because they're physically there. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's essentially the same thing. And that's when you see so many lives go to shit because you can't, your ego doesn't know, okay, I'm safe here. That trauma is real. And, you know, your head's yeah. on a swivel, the heads, because that's what you learn. That's what you know. And, you know, that comes a lot with when you're, you know, you're training to be an officer, what you're learning is everybody's out to get you. That's what they teach you. They kind of have, there's a reason why they, it has to be that way, but it eats you alive. It gets you to the point where people will at the holidays to be like, Hey, look, I made some brownies or the local restaurants would be like, here, here's a ton of pizzas or all this other stuff. And they're like, we're not going to touch it because we don't know if somebody spit in it or somebody did something to it because that's the mindset. And it was hard for me to understand. Like, I mean, I could understand some, but I'd be like, Oh, come on, seriously guys. And you know, I'm like, all right, fine. I'll take it back. And you know, gee, how did I become a fat dispatcher? (laughs) <laughs> like, like, look, somebody's going to eat this. I'm pretty sure it's not spit on. These people are very, you know, most people actually like you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's, the, but that's the thing. That's the, that's, that's what they learn. They learn they can't be safe. Their heads have to be on a swivel. If they put, if they let their guard down, something might happen to them. And what about their families? And they, they can't. And that's, and gradually, our you know our minds aren't, our health isn't able to sustain that, and that's mm-hmm. how people have certain breaking points, and that's how shitty things happen. They pop, yeah. and yeah. mental health in it's better in these fields than when I started, but it's still shit, yeah. and shit. there still needs to be a lot to be done. But getting back to that point, that's so many, but but that's an example of the same thing you were talking about. If we can't take the shield off, it eats us alive. Yeah. And that's so much of what's happening. Look at us. (sighs) Yeah. And then the, and then the debacle that they find themselves in, the people that are in these positions of immense power to make decisions for the collective. Mm Mm-hmm of i i do believe that there are quite a few of these individuals that still feel the intensity of the emotion of the people around the issue that it isn't always just the money that there are elements of emotional regard that still exist there um but They're learning how they have 
some scaffolding that's provided through their education that enables them to, to take the feeling of the people and translate it into what becomes dictated as deferred authority or a request or invitation for others to defer authority to this law, this ruling. It's defined in a box that says it's justice or, or right for the people. And because those are such arbitrary concepts, they are such arbitrary realities that, that by the time it gets to that point, it can be really, really challenging to see what all of that is going to translate to for the person living over there in that house that goes to work every day. Right? Like, <clears throat> I don't even know, honestly, that it's really possible for them to do that. I think that's why they have people that do that, that that's a different job that tracks that piece. And then they're supposed to bring that information back to them and say, how did it work out? <laughs> and I don't think we, I don't think those of us that kind of like live the day-to-day -day life out here really understand what it means to live in those positions. Right. Having, I did, I did catering at the Capitol building here in Olympia, Washington. And I, I love watching people. And so I, <clears throat> I would watch these individuals and I would see these massive bubbles that they lived in. And when everybody else walked away, I was a nobody because I was the wait staff. So I got kind of a privileged view into what they look like when no one else is looking. And the amount of internalized grief and self-loathing and um, personality and body dysmorphia that they all walked around with, like it was just so evident on their face and their body postures. They're miserable humans. Yeah. I didn't see a single one of them that felt happy. Not a single one, but those people could smile and charm and be charismatic. And you would think that you were the most special person in the world when they were talking to you. Yeah, they know how to hide the pain from you, but they don't know how to yeah. bury it from themselves ultimately. Because you know, that's why they keep putting on the show. If they keep putting on the show, they don't have to deal with it. And so much of that political world, that's a reason why, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's just theater, but that's, an, that's a big one. If these people actually had to face their pain, mm -hmm. they wouldn't know what to do. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And I know that I know that the situation of, you know, being an IM1 operator is the mental health aspect of it is really shitty. 
unfortunately, I don't think anybody looks at the mental health of the people in positions of power in our country. It's it's still not good, but at this point, I've been out a few years now, but it's better now than when I started 20 years ago. Okay. That doesn't mean it's good. It just means that there's steps that have been, you know, taking little steps. You know, they don't, instead of being like, you don't need to have the crisis debriefing team in here, or you don't really need the EAP. And now it's gotten to, all right, we'll bring, right, fine, we'll bring them in. I don't see the worth of it, but we'll bring them in if you that's what you need. So there's, a, you know, which it doesn't feel like from the outside is a big step, but it really actually is that yeah. they're open to at least, that old guard's at least open to listening. I think mm-hmm. in another generation, you're going to see a lot more steps being taken in that. I think the younger generations are going to demand it. And as some of this older guard retires off and some of these younger mm-hmm. guys, you know, they're not all going to be assimilated. You're going to start seeing a lot better mental health and you're starting to see you know they may not talk about it but you're starting to see more and more start to use therapists and use their you know the mental health and their insurance on their own and you know they may not be able to t- they might be telling anybody but right right they're it's starting to go in the right it, it's slowly starting to go in the right direction they're starting yeah. to see that this this isn't this isn't working we need better. It's not work. It's not coming fast enough. And they need a lot more support than what's out there, but it is wheels move slow, but they are moving. Yeah. And those are big steps. That, that process of breaking through that stigma is a huge, yeah, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, and I can tell you there's a difference when I started talking about publicly about things like mental health and trauma and emotional health. When I first started putting some of that stuff out there, I got pulled to the side and was told, hey, uh, not yet. it's good stuff, but knock it off. Because right. somebody's going to say something and you're going to, I'm like, and I was like, no, not happening. And nothing happened. But more and more people would pull up to the side and be like, hey, thanks for saying that. I get, yeah, that, that's me. And you'd be surprised. People would be surprised. Who's listening? Yeah. Very surprised. Yep. 
have hope. There's, there's reason to hope. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. The, the progression toward shifting our collective sense of authority and power dynamics is, is coming. Like it, it, it's imminent for our society. We're ripe for this change and it will make a huge difference in how we engage with life. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. We're just having growing pains and it looks a lot worse than it is. And <laughs> short term, it it's going to look like it's maybe even the next couple of years, it may look like it's getting a lot worse. Yeah. But have faith in the long game. Yeah. Cause we, we want to go where we're going. Yeah. We do. We've all asked for something different, right? We've, yeah. we've all been asking for that different to come, whether it's the conservative version or the liberal version right. or the, the crunchy granola mama version, you know, we've, we've all been wanting that next step to happen. And we need all of those. We need all of them. Mm-hmm. And in the power with dynamic, one of the fascinating components of it that I've been observing is how We have like the bell curve mm-hmm. and the majority of us sit in the bell curve. And then there are those who are always going to be our outliers. Yeah. And those outliers are in a power with dynamic. The outliers are not feared, but they are revered because they're holding an energetic position that creates creative and constructive tension so they don't have to fight they need to just be with the belief systems that they're sitting with and have the capacity to acknowledge that we're all human and then it's not we're not we're not we're not needing to war or battle over a difference we're not needing to deny and annihilate because we're afraid Instead, we welcome in and go, look, you, you have a really unique and different point of view about life, about how things are working. And I don't necessarily want to live life by that model of belief systems or experience. But there's an opportunity to learn something. But there's an opportunity to learn something. And I get to take that with me and go back to my bell. Exactly. <laughs> And I, I truly believe that that's where we're moving toward. Absolutely. Um, Noticing we're running up against the clock. Um, okay. What do you got going on that you can share with us, Michelle? Um, this month, I am offering a, a course, a master class. It's only five hours long, so it's really short and sweet. 
a class on the sacred place of boundaries. And in this course, we go over the fundamentals of how and why we create boundaries. And we go over power dynamics. And there's some experiential learning that takes place in that in the windows. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and then my website will be launching here in a couple of weeks. Nice. So it'll be morphingenergetics.org. And then I have, um, I offer readings also. I do card readings and I do business uh, consultations for energy dynamics also. Nice. And what's the best way to reach out to you, Michelle? Best way to reach out to me is probably on Facebook until I have my website set up. (laughs) Um, People can reach me at, at Morphing Energetics. Um, at gmail.com also. Beautiful. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Michelle can be found on Facebook under her name, as well as her business, Morphing Energetics. If you want to connect with Michelle and learn more about her services, her email is in the show notes. I want to thank Michelle Frank for stopping by. What an amazing conversation that I hope leads to many, many more. We need them. And this is where it begins, by communicating and having the hard conversations. Conversations, not screaming, not insults, not cancels, conversations. Speaking of communicating and conversations, we would love to hear what is coming through for you after listening. What excites you about the possibilities going forward and what terrifies you? What do you see as a first step in building the kind of community that brings us what we are missing and fills in the blanks we need to going forward? Feel free to email or connect via social media. Links are going to be in the notes. If you enjoy what is being put out into the world through Misfits, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast and or YouTube channel. Please tell a friend, a family member, a whole crowd of people about what we're building over here. We're working to reconstruct how we see so much of the world and to build community around that. A community that honors both our commonality and our differences and can use both to create a ripple effect of love, peace, kindness, and possibility through authentic unity. Whoever you are, whatever your beliefs or background, there's a space for you here. There's a link to a piece I wrote. It'll be in the show notes about the different ways that this movement, I guess, can be supported. Use it as an opportunity to receive back through the coaching and mentoring services that I offer, or purchase of merchandise in the store, or buying my book, Becoming a Beacon. And also do so through donations, through Ko-Fi, through PayPal, Venmo, and also through spreading the word about what's going on, joining our communities, and being a part of the free community on Facebook, and the membership community that's coming soon. Spread the word through following on social media. As tacky as it is, in that world, numbers count. Numbers feed the algorithms. So a simple like, a simple comment, simple shares, they can help. It can be almost as important as a donation because if the message gets out far and wide, those other pieces that are needed will begin to take care of themselves. What if your share directly led to us receiving a five-figure sponsorship or donation. How amazing would that feel? Thank you for spending time with us today. We can always get money and 
other tangible assets back. The one that we cannot is our time. And that you chose to spend just a little bit of it, that most valuable asset to hang out with us is an honor as always. Take care, much love, be safe, and be well. All content is the property of the respective creators. If there is a miscredit, please reach out to the host to have that rectified. All opinions are solely those of the participants and do not reflect those of any of the hosting platforms. No content is to be taken as formal advice and to not replace protocols put in place by your medical or other professionals. Any decision otherwise is taken at your risk and the host, participants, or Beacon Road Ministry are not responsible or liable for your actions. Misfits, Wanderers, and the Rest of Us is produced through Beacon Road Ministry. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. <laughs>